Whilst I was you know, waiting for it to go on, you know, for one of my scenes, um, a man was uh, collapsed in uh, in the audience, and he was sort of he was carried out, and uh, and I'm there with my stethoscope, my prop stethoscope <laughs> around my neck, and 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 I went and I went straight up to him and I said, "Oh, you're right, and you know, my name's Ish," and I said, "I know." You've just seen me, and I'm, and I know I'm dressed like a doctor, but I actually am a doctor. And he just like was coming out of this faint, looking completely disoriented, looking like he thought he was going crazy. He thought he was uh, clearly this is it. I'm 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 dying. This is just the weirdest outer body experience of my life. And I was like, no, no, it's really fine. Don't panic. It's okay. And like using my props at the scope, I then examined him and was just like, okay, you look fine. Um, and I just said to the company manager and I said, you know, who helped um, to carry him out. I said, is, is the ambulance on its way? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've called the ambulance. I said, Great. Um, I said, um, tell them I'll be out in a minute. I just need to go on stage. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Paths, the podcast about people who have lived unusual lives marked by dramatic change or a sense of living different lives simultaneously. You just heard a little snippet of today's guest, Ish Aladi. Ish is, remarkably, a classically trained and award-winning actor and simultaneously a fully-fledged doctor who works in A&E whenever he's not acting. We cover so many topics in this conversation, including studying medicine at Cambridge, studying acting at Lambda, what it's really like on the ground in the NHS, what it's like working at the National Theatre and how the fearlessness of his acting colleagues there took him aback, winning the UK Theatre Award for his performance in Hobson's Choice at the Royal Exchange, the internal experience of performance, being a successful person who suffers from depression, coming out to his parents as bi, and how being a doctor during COVID has been a galvanising experience and changed his relationship with the medical profession. So yeah, join me to hear about all that and much more. If you have an unusual life story or know someone who does, please get in touch with me by email at patspodcastpeople at gmail.com. Huge thanks to James Corrigan for putting me in touch with Ish. Thanks also to Sean Butler who helped me out working on this episode. Okay, over to Ish. Enjoy. Hello, Ish. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you very much for joining me this evening on the podcast. Oh, no, thank you very much for having me. Broadly speaking, your story fits into the uh, living different lives simultaneously part of the tagline for this podcast because you are both an actor and a, a successful actor, award-winning actor, and a fully qualified doctor who works in A&E and studied medicine in Cambridge. And you also have traveled to 50 countries, is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. There's tons to cover, uh, and not just the kind of, you know, stepping stones along the way of your story, but I'd like to get into, you know, how all this kind of felt for you personally and internally and everything along the way too. So yeah, I think I think we should just get cracking. To ask you a little bit about your parents, I gather your parents are from Southern mm -hmm. India. When your dad arrived, your dad is also a doctor and he was a surgeon in mm -hmm. India 
but when he arrived in the UK fairly quickly at around the age of 30 he changed which is fitting for this podcast too he he changed from being a surgeon to being an anesthetist yeah that's right yeah he he first came to uh, the UK he actually he worked in Glasgow um and he was there for a couple of years um as a surgeon but then slowly worked his way through different sort of trauma fields and then decided eventually on anesthetics which is where he ended up for about yeah about 35 years of his life as an anesthetist um and a very successful anesthetist i would say as well i mean he he took him it took him to northern ireland and he was there you know during the troubles and everything and so he'd be on the front line after a bomb saving people like on the field and things like that so yeah he has lots of stories to tell and you know he did everything from that and you know doing locums in the middle of the orkney islands for a couple of weeks as well and being the only doctor there who knew how to do trauma life support uh, for a couple of weeks <laughs> right um yeah it, is that the meaning of locum you mentioned locum could you just define locum for the the, the layman list yeah so i mean a locum is is it, it a locum doctor which is what i am is essentially it's a temp it's a temp doc basically i work i have a temp agency and i say this is what i'm free and and it's basically a, t- a temporary position an ad hoc position as a doctor uh, so i don't have a contract as such um but uh, so i can just pick up a shift you know here and there whenever i whenever i want to which is great for me and it's really good for uh, especially a and e as well cuz it's shift work and they need people at all hours of the day so it's sort of like a great back it's a, it's a great backup job <laughs> <laughs> totally extraordinary backup job um as i said it was um james corrigan our mutual friend who steered me in your direction and i just i had no idea it was remotely possible to be both a doctor and an actor at the same time but we're going to hear all about how you've managed to do that and i gather just to just before we move on from your your folks your mum's a childminder right that's right. Yes. So she started looking after kids from when I was eight. So I remember, I mean, we lived in a beautiful little close in Stockport, uh, full, filled with lots of great families. And we grew up with lots of kids. And my mum sort of, you, you, we all went to the same schools, basically. So my mum would pick them up and they'd all be in our house until their parents came home from work. And then she officially became a childminder. And then she started looking after little babies as old as four or five months old and until they were ready to go to school. So our house was always filled with <laughs> crying children and happy children as well, obviously. <laughs> Not to misrepresent your mother's work. Honestly, she, I don't know what, every single child my mother has ever looked after has somehow ended up being incredibly successful and wonderfully well-rounded. So she's she's clearly got a magic touch, my mother, somehow. Yeah. Um, the thing I understood from chatting to you before is that the first thing you chose to study after school was medicine but you had a passion for theater and for acting from a young age that's right yeah i mean i did it i was based actually the first thing i had a passion for was dancing really more than anything i i I, my mum brought me up on um the golden age of hollywood which she got that education from my from my granddad and uh, her, her father and he so I grew up on things like Singing in the Rain and um, uh, all the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movies. And I just used, I used to know even at the age of two, apparently where the VHS was that, uh, that of Singing in the Rain and put it into the, the video player and dance on the windowsill um, <laughs> to these, to, to, to it. And I, I just, I think it was sort of 
I always loved what I just used to sit in front of that TV and like, I mean, like inches from it, like uh, just, just taking it all in from, um, I just loved it. I love, I love, I loved everything that they did. And I really wanted to be Gene Kelly. I think that's who I really, really wanted to be. Um, so yeah, dance is how I got into it. And then, and then I went to an after school theater school where I did that and singing and drama and everything. And yeah, it was the first and only thing I really remember wanting to do. Definitely. Mm. And um, you really got to, as you said, you're doing after school stuff during primary school, but I gather it really kind of moved on a level. You went to Manchester Grammar School. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great theater. Like, I mean, God, such an American thing. I was going to say it was a great theater program. And um, there's a great, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a really great, I mean, like drama department. That's the one I'm looking for. It was a really, I mean, they did like four or five plays a year and we had, there were two girls schools nearby. And so they did plays and sometimes some of the boys went over and helped, you know, I mean, we're in their plays and, you know, and they came over to our school and we're, you know, we're in ours. It was great. It was so much. And I had a great teacher who, taught us everything from stage combat to you know doing a, a sort of mini Shakespeare festival and stuff like that you know doing 10 minute versions of Shakespeare plays and things it was we were very 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 lucky at that school um and did you say there was some like theatrical heavyweights who oh. would come to the school or visit the school or had connections to it Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, most famously, like, uh, Sir Ben Kingsley himself and and then Sir Nicholas Heitner as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they both came to the school when I was there and did did talks. Or, um, and Ben Kingsley did a master class with us on Hamlet. And it was amazing. I wow. Just being like, this is insane. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, yeah. Do you remember of- anything he said? absolutely not i really <laughs> wish i did <laughs> i just sort of remember just being like this is a guy who's really he's got an oscar he's got an actual oscar and he's there on the st- on our stage on this stage where i've done fiddler on the bloody roof you know what i mean <laughs> and i was like okay that's not a horror version of fiddler on the roof is <laughs> but this is really good like I, I it was i was just in sort of I was completely in awe that, you know, that he would take his time to do that, number one. I don't know how often he has done it before, has done since, but um, it was really inspiring. Um, And the way he talked about Shakespeare and the way he talked about speaking verse, I do remember him saying it with just, I don't know, you know, some actors can just turn it on and just change the fabric of the air around you just to like, a few seconds and he was able to do that with just one passage of hamlet and i just remember just being like wow god i want to be able to do that mm. um, and um I, it's interesting actually I, that, that you said ben kingsley came in and did shakespeare because i gather uh something that we chatted a bit about was that you tended not to be cast in shakespeare you you generally were cast in the musicals Yes, that's right. Yeah, I I never really got into any of the plays. And it was really weird because, like, I never really understood that. I, I, I understood why I got into the musicals because I was the one who sang and danced. And there were a few other guys in my school who probably would have ever admit to do that. I mean, it was a boys school. So, you know, you got to watch out. Um, yeah. So and, you know, that's why actually I stopped dancing as well. Like I, I went to this dance school until I went to um until I went to MGS because of the f- the fear of it, a fear of, you know, literally being outed as, you know, as, as, as the kid who did, you know, ballet, you know, mm. and what that would do in a boys school. Um, 
and I was terrified and of of being found out. But then I'd ended up doing loads of plays, so I suppose you know. They, they, they... <laughs> I mean, the secret was out pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but I think it may have been because of the way I looked. And and by that, I don't just mean I was a, the smallest kid in my year with massive glasses and, um, you know, uh, uh, very shy in very many ways. But I, I was also, I think also because I was brown and, uh, and I didn't think they necessarily meant to not cast me in those roles. But I think they just never saw me as doing Shakespeare like like and never saw you know anyone who looked like me doing that kind of you know it didn't it didn't sort of fit their equation of what that kind of play would look like so when they did Uncle Vanya when they did you know this I, I don't know unless you looked a certain way I don't know I think they had to put you in if you were the only one around but it wouldn't necessarily be an active thing you know yeah. It wouldn't be any, it wasn't easy for them to put me into those things, I think is what I'd say. Um, they'd have to make a decision about it. Yeah. Well, that's a, like a topic that we'll uh, touch upon again as we, as we go forward. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, I gather, given that you ended up going to Cambridge, you must have been, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, you must have been a brilliant student academically in school, were you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know about brilliant, but certainly I was very good. I was a bit of SWAT. Yeah, I mean, I I was very good at science. I found it easy, um, easier than art subjects, bizarrely, considering what I do now. Um, but I, yeah, I was really good at chemistry, physics, maths, biology, that stuff. Yeah, you know, and I, I and I liked it, and I had great teachers for it, and it it, it sort of made all of that stuff made sense um, to me. Um, that's quite funny actually I was I was the same having ended up as an actor I, I was much stronger I think maths was my strongest subject and I remember when I did the equivalent of the A-levels and I got a very good mark in maths my teacher yeah. said you know congratulations and he said what are you going to study now and I said oh I'm going to do drama and he just looked dumbfounded like, that, <laughs> that, doesn't, just like... that doesn't have much to do with maths does it no. No, that equation did not work for him no yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i can i mean but then are you a musician if like, uh, yeah, to an extent um enthusiastic amateur yeah right okay because sometimes like maths and music crosses over like there's a sort of the minds there tend to have a i know people's i know a lot of mathematicians who are great musicians and vice versa i'm just wondering cause, yeah mm. it's uh there's a lot of great people who i i don't know i don't know what it is but there's a lot of people who can do that um and I think it's to, to do with how music is structured. It feels it can feel quite uh, if it suits their mind. I think. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm curious about this th- this moment. This is one of one of the big moments coming up as as you leave school, because mm-hmm. you have you have this massive passion for acting and drama and theater, but you decide not to pursue that, and you ended up going to study medicine in Cambridge. I gather you did a course around this time. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about that and about that kind of juncture? Yeah. So, I mean, the whole time, and it was, I I, I don't think it was a secret to anybody that I wanted to be an actor, but it was like, I, it was a very difficult decision because I didn't ever think I would have a career. So what was the point what was the point of going to drama school when there was no one who looked like me on stage and, or, you know, I, you know, I go to, 
the theatres in, in Manchester. I never, I don't recall ever seeing anybody who looked like me. I like musicals. I've, you know, at that point, I, I don't, never seen an, you know, an Indian person in a musical. Um, and I, I, so I was like, well, what would I do? What was, what's the point of going to do this thing and then just not earn any money, not have a career, and just be miserable? And so I just sort of kept putting it away. And it's, it's something that, um, uh, that I read in the Adam K book, this is going to hurt. It, it was sort of an easy decision to go to medical school. So like, I didn't have to think about it much because I was good at science and I like people and I wanted to have a, a career that was going to be interesting and different every day and, and have its own little drama going on and medicine would provide that. And it made my dad happy. And my sister went to Cambridge as well and went to medical school there. Um, and, you know, it was sort of, it was a kind of, it didn't require as much thought, which sounds so privileged and ridiculous when I say it out loud, like, oh my God, it was so easy for me to like get into Cambridge to do medicine. I mean, it, 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 it's terrible. And I don't mean it like that. It just, it, I worked really hard. It wasn't easy, but it just, it required, I was taken along with the ride, on the ride, like the wave pushed me there you know as much as mm. I wanted to go with it you know um and then I so I got my place there and and I had this opportunity to go to this summer school which is called the Midsummer in Oxford and it was done by the British American Drama Academy you know and like you know great people had been to this like um I think David Schwimmer had gone to it and stuff like that. there were a couple of other really good American actors had been on this course in the past and I think Paul Rudd or someone like that had been on it as well and I was so I was really excited to go and it was like drama school for four weeks in Oxford in that beautiful sunshine and it was you know and had great teachers from all these amazing drama schools that, you know, British ones like Radha Lambda Guildhall, but also American ones like Juilliard and, you know, UCLA and stuff like that. And I was like, this is amazing. And it was doing movement and, and Shakespeare and, and, and audition technique and, and just, and lots of different things. It was so great. It was so great. And doing masterclasses with people like Fiona Shaw and Derek Jacobi. And you were just like, this is insane. I was 18. I'm just like, oh my God, I, was, I had the best time of my life. And I thought, oh my God, I love everything about drama school. I want to do this now. And the whole time I knew I was going to medical school within two months. I was like, this is, I felt so, I also so depressed. I was like, what the fuck have I done? Why have I done this? Why have I done this to myself? And then it was, um, and then now sort of the teachers there all knew that I was at this place at medical school and all of them told me to, to do it. They were like, go, if you still want to be an actor at the end of it, then think about it then. But they, none of them were like, no, you should go and be an actor, drop out of medical school, go and, you know, do the, do, do the, do the medical school thing first. It, you know, you, you know, it's good to have it. Yeah. And at I the mean, time, sorry. I mean, I felt, uh, sorry, no, no. I just, I said at the time I felt sort of, like, yeah, you're probably right, but also silently devastated that they weren't like, you're wasting your life. <laughs> go and be an actor. Um, but it's only now that in retrospect, I go, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, sort of making me be sort of sensible. I wouldn't be here today talking to you had it not been for that kind of advice sort of helping. Well, that's it strikes me. That's what I was going to say, that that was brilliant. <clears throat> brilliant wise advice and it brings to mind that idea 
that you sometimes hear around acting people you know the phrase don't have a plan b because you'll use it you know as in yeah. if you have a plan b you won't persist yes in being an actor but your story is brilliant proof that that saying is a bunch of bullshit because yeah. this they clearly knowing the industry as they did they knew how precarious it is and they could see you had a big passion for it and you're really young and so yeah it made perfect sense go go and study medicine and then if you still want to be an actor in a few years time you'll still be really young and you can do that then and you yeah can... absolutely yeah and they were absolutely right and, and the thing is exactly what you say like about this plan a plan that plan a plan b thing don't do it because it's as though you're going to miss some opportunity as though there's going to be something that like you're, you're going to give up you're not going to give your full attention to something and you you know and you're not going to be able to like you know dive as deep as you need to into the art i mean i'm not gonna lie maybe for some people that would be true you know we're all different but i i, I just i just don't think it's helpful to sort of see it as plan a and b i just think you can have several plan a's <laughs> like like i don't think you, i just think you can just do you can throw your heart into as many things as you want to if you've got the time for it like and you do you just do there's enough time. there are enough hours in the day um yeah. well uh, it's, it's a big theme of this podcast that you know people's reasons for taking the turns they do at any given time are very complicated and yeah. the package we're kind of sold about like say careers in acting particularly it's so kind of hollywoodized of like mm. you know never give up on your dreams just keep going and you can make it but life's more complicated than that and again your story is a great example of how you've made it work and you've now got two very um fulfilling and cool careers but anyway um so so then you you decided to go with their advice and and you went to cambridge yes yeah i did which was i mean hard (laughs) it's a hard place to do academic work um and i i sort of i think i think i i'm not I wouldn't be lying in saying that I pretty much hated medical school as in I hated doing my degree. Um, I, I found it so difficult. I found like I didn't really, it didn't really seem to fit well with me. Um, I got through, don't get me wrong. Um, but like, and, but what made it great was, was the drama, was the theatre I did and the people I met um, outside of my medical school. Not, I mean, <laughs> Not that all medical students are bad. I mean, I, I made medical student friends as well. <laughs> but, like, but, but, you know, where I found my soulmates were were in, and who are my best friends are, are, are the people I met doing plays and musicals at Cambridge. Um, what groups? Because I know there's like a bunch of, there's like famously Footlights is one group, but there, there's like a oh, bunch yeah. of different drama groups in Cambridge, right? Oh yeah, I mean Cumps. That's C U M T S. Sure, we know at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the netball team either. Um, so uh, <laughs> very, very much the yeah, very much the musical theatre society. Um, I did a lot of stuff with them, and um, at least the first show I did, I did West Side Story there. Um, at the arts theatre which is a gorgeous theatre and it's actually for a professional working theatre so we got to do a student show there and it was brilliant to come into Cambridge and that was my first show and and it you know that it, it starred uh, you know 
sort of known actor now. His name's Eddie Redmayne. You know, he played Tony. <laughs> Don't know. <him. laughs> nah, nah. Yeah, shame, shame. What happened to him? Really? Um, it was so. Yeah, you know, sort of. Yeah, and lots of people who were in that cast, like still professionally working. It was. It was one of those places where there's. I still. I mean, it's awful because I don't think it's the. I mean, it's partly the whole old boys club thing, which I sort of hate, but they were very talented. And I remember being there and just going, God, you guys are really, really good. <laughs> and um, and they just made you up your game. Everyone was so ambitious and had huge ideas. It was really, and, the, and I know how we did everything that we did. It was only eight week terms, but some people I know did like 10 plays in eight weeks. And I was like, how have you managed that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh it was it was a very um yeah it was a, it, the hamster wheel of that place it kept it ran fast it ran really fast the metabolism was really great yeah it was great out of curiosity obviously you have to work really hard academically and mm. as you say a lot of you guys are doing a lot of plays as well do you have time for a social life i mean is there loads of partying and and crack as well or or <laughs> what I... gives you sleep i mean well there was not much sleep i suppose but it's not the same as other unis like not at all like i look i know and i, I don't think we went out in the same way as other unis did because i mean also this is cambridge man i mean there's like three clubs like i mean <laughs> it's not like i mean i'm sure other people may have had a really going out you know wild lifestyle but really i was in the theater bar um a lot um because it was one pound 50 for a gin and tonic i mean why why would you go anywhere else um so it was great um uh yeah i mean we did i i it was more yeah i think we just didn't sleep we just we just just kept going everyone was everyone did essays until they were like to like 3 a.m and you know and got up in time for their lectures and then you know then rehearsing and set between 7 and 11 you know like it was it was like that it was it was great I sort of, I, I, I mean, I think about what we did. I, I, I honestly couldn't logically tell you how many, how we fitted it all in, but we, uh, we did yeah. <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Um, but before um, moving forward from Cambridge, I'm just curious. I think probably a lot of people are who, you know, never went to Oxbridge. It has such when you, especially when you live in the UK and you hear about it and you meet mm-hmm. people who went there, it's such a reputation. What would you like? You know, would you spot a kind of common thread or characteristic amongst the people you met, or a, a kind of an intellectual characteristic amongst the people? There was such confidence in knowledge, like there, and it, it they it was it was quite amazing that and and, and ambition there was huge ambition as well, and then I think. And the unfortunate thing is that was that was a, there's probably a huge entitlement. Well, most certainly isn't a lot of people entitlement as well. So there was just a sense of like we're going to be great because we're here, which which always which felt pressured as well. It felt like if you were having a bad time, that if you weren't doing well, that 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 really hurt, and it made that it meant you felt so much worse for it if you weren't. Um, but it it so. And, and and it felt like you know you had to be doing good things or in big things and things like that. Um, I, I think yeah, certainly everybody was very ambitious. I love that yeah. you said the word confidence because it makes me hark back to my interview with my friend Josh, who went to the same <laughs> school as me. And our school was like a good school, but not a particularly kind of high flying kind of posh school. And mm-hmm. it really struck me in our chat that 
I think maybe we we did have confidence he was a musician and i have confidence in myself as an actor but i don't think maybe we had as much of the kind of bulletproof confidence that yes in an industry as crazy as these are that you need mm-hmm. yeah i think i used to i feel like i used to have i mean i, I, I i'm someone who's who suffers with depression and so my confidence has always been a little bit held back because of that and with and and with anxiety as well so uh, i i never felt as confident as some of the people that i was with but i'm sure if you talk to my friends they all be like oh you looked absolutely fine you looked like you were having the time of your life and you looked like you were running the show and i'm, I'm sure it probably didn't show as much as it felt like i had to overcome so much inside to sort of like go okay i just need to and you know it it as much as sometimes I feel my anxiety is my crux, it's, it, so it is, is the thing that holds me back. I think it's also the thing that makes me fight even harder. Mm. Um, and I think there, there's, but there were some people who just, they, they float, they seemed to float <laughs> through life. Um, it seemed easy. I'm sure it wasn't the case. And you go, as you grow up, you will learn that no, no, nothing, no, no one's life is easy, but like, it, it just it always seemed that way. Dare I ask, yeah. I'm guessing Mr. Redmayne might have been one of those people. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he had an agent by the time I was doing that play with him. And, you know, and it was, you know, and it was, he, he was, he was, he was, obviously he's an astonishing actor. So (laughs) he was just like, all right, wow. Okay. You're great. Um, uh, There was just never any question. There was never any question. You would, you know, he was gonna, he was gonna leave. He was gonna become famous, and he was gonna do really well. Um, and I don't think, I, 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 not everyone has that, you know. But I think a lot of people sort of, yeah, rode on that wave of privilege and and confidence and entitlement. And like, actually, if I just do this, and if I, you know, jump through this hoop, and I follow that person who did that thing, uh, then I could too get that, you know get as far yeah um, but as we know with acting it's just not like that it's not as simple as that i mean eddie's an exception a very small you know exception to the rule and jobbing actors are what keep you know keep things alive you know it's you know it's a very different world to that it's not about the 0.0005 percent that win oscars it's about every all the rest of us exactly know? yeah uh, another thing that this podcast is absolutely trying to explore but speaking of exploration, um, before moving on from Cambridge, you got the opportunity to travel when you were there, right? And you mentioned going to Kenya. Yes, yes, part of my elective. I it was I went to Kenya and Tanzania, and um, yeah, I did some work there. We all have to do seven weeks elective, and you know some people stay and do some research projects within the UK, but you're allowed to go and experience medicine in another country. And um, I wanted to go to a country and a continent I'd never experienced before. And I got to go to Kenya and I worked in Nairobi in a slum doing the antenatal clinic and a vaccination clinic and a general medical clinic, which was basically you have malaria, you have typhoid, you have malaria. And then we, and then I did um, some pediatrics and obstetrics in, in a small district general hospital in the middle of the countryside of, of Kenya um, in a place called Embu. Um, and it was, it was amazing. I was such a sort of, 
I mean, I just learned so much and I saw some awful things, but I also got to, you know, climb a mountain and go on safari and go to the beach. So that was the main reason why yeah. I wanted to go. Um, I would Fair love enough. to say I was going to like, you know, get a, get a real proper, you know, education into medicine. But I was like, I want to climb a mountain. I want to see some, you know, see some fucking lions and I want to yeah. go and sit on a beach, you know, <laughs> like, so yeah. And I did that. So that was great. That sounds incredible. I can kind of, I have a picture in my mind's eye. I don't know if it's accurate, but I imagine it was really beautiful. Uh, stunning. And the people were like, some of the, uh, just so wonderful and friendly and looked after us so well and just brilliant. I remember dancing in bars with people, with just random people and just, they just know how to party there and they very generously just take you around and show you their place, show you their country and, and bring you into their homes and, there was a great place in the slum that um so they nick electricity from the wires by uh, overhanging wires but through hooks and then they come into the little huts and then inside these huts there was one place there was this like they just had like, like three screens and loads of playstations and so we just played we just played loads of video games all day and it was just like and you're just like there's literal sewage outside but we're, we're on a playstation and so it was it's sort of the the the, the, diff, the contrast of that i will never ever forget um and then right next to this slum kabira there's this massive shopping center with like this multi-screen cinema which did like it was called Missouri Monday Madness. And like for like 300 shillings, or like which is the equivalent of a pound, you'd get your cinema ticket, a pop, uh, some popcorn and a hot dog. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I think I saw like, I saw like 500 movies. <laughs> it was so good. I just kept going to the cinema. It was brilliant. Um, and you also saw a performance. Is that right? That kind of had an effect on you. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually I worked with this um, just very briefly like, t uh, with this charity called Sponsored Arts for Education, who actually they, um, the performance you can see in um, the Constant Gardener in the beginning of that movie. And they do this. They get groups of actors, African artists, and together they create stories uh, that try to dispel myths around the transmission of HIV uh in um in those communities and it's becoming less and less of a problem thankfully um, because of these interventions but the, such as virgin rape as being you know as a way of curing hiv um and through song and dance and story they tell these stories and they put out in the slums and then they find that the next day, the attend and the next week, the attendances at the clinics for being tested would go up 100 to 150 percent, and it really just showed you the power of these, of storytelling, of of what you know what we can do, um, and especially now when we're in a public health crisis, um, it is it's it's I just think it's always valuable to remember that there are ways of you know, getting through to people and telling how people how important your health can be and, and what people go through. And through that, just through that lens, it's amazing how many lives you can save. Mm. Like, it's, it, yeah. I always wanted to do a bit of work. I still do. I still want to do more work around that. But I thought that was what I'd do after I became a doctor. <laughs> um, I thought that's where I'd go into sort of working in that kind of field of charity and health communication and stuff. But um, 
I decided to go to drama school instead. So you know, we'll <laughs> 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 like, do that. Yeah, we should uh, move towards that. Uh, and just just before, I'm just curious. I gather you'd probably had to do a dissertation or something. Um, did you? Oh yeah. Do you mind I telling us just did. what you did it on? I think I did. What did I do? Um, I think Don't I remember. did it on. Like, <laughs> God, no. Um, it was so long ago, and I didn't do it. I didn't think I've got a very good mark. I think I did it on the cult. How cultural differences um, impact the diagnosis of ADHD. That's what mm-hmm. I think I did it on. Yeah, what that impact was because I was. I was. It was all about like how in Asian Asian cultures in terms of the uh, stricter, more disciplinarian parenting uh, compared to more Western, more liberal minded um, uh, parenting, whether they, whether that would change how prevalent um, ADHD was, um, whether like actually discipline was going to be something that would help essentially was the kind of central tenet. Um, essentially the answer was, we don't have enough information. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, so yeah, it's, it's a so cliffhanger. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think that's why I didn't get a good mark. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Well, a noble effort anyway. It sounds really interesting. Um, so then uh, you graduate from Cambridge uh, and you leave Cambridge. And I gather there was two years between graduating from Cambridge and then deciding to go to Lambda and train as an actor. So could you tell us a bit about those two years? Yeah, I so I moved to London from Cambridge because um, I was I didn't really think I could spend any more than six years in Cambridge, um, <laughs> it being such a small place. But uh, yeah, and I so I worked, first worked at Croydon, in Croydon in um, in the May Day Hospital, uh, which is known affectionately as the May Die Hospital, um, <laughs> and then the, the dark then humor of doctors. <laughs> oh, that was the public, mate. So, <laughs> um, I, so and then, um, and then you know, then it was a choice between. I think it's called the what was it the Kenton Snuffit or the uh, or Darren Valley, which is Death Valley Hospital. So I went to Death Valley instead. Um, it was just it really was a lovely hospital actually <laughs> like I, I should say I, I had a great time working both there and I did you have to do when you leave medicine um it's called your foundation program which is sort of um just the, like again a sort of generalized training you do rotations in medicine and surgery and a couple of specialties it's to give you an idea of what like you might want to specialize in in the future. So I did a lot of medicine and I did a lot of pediat- I did pediatrics and emergency medicine, which is sort of where I ended up. Um, and I had a great time. I, you know, I actually, I hated medical school, but I really love being a doctor. It's just, it's a, it was just such a different thing. Um, I don't, I don't know what happened but between medical school and like that first day, which is probably one of the most terrifying days of my life, but that first day as a doctor, I was just like, no, I like this. I really like this. Is it the people? Is it the difference between it being theoretical and, and actually dealing with people? I think so. I think I always felt a little bit guilty. Like I felt like I was experimenting when you're like on people when I was in medical school. I felt like I could hurt you. And so that the, the the holding that responsibility in my hand i just felt a, i felt a bit guilty about it I, d- I don't i didn't find it very a comfortable existence 
Whereas I always learned from doing actually what I learned in Kenya was that because we just had to run those clinics. And that's where I started to get confidence because we just had to do it. Even though I was only five years into medical school, they, the guy who ran that the, the clinic in Kibera in the slum, he served 1 million people and he didn't have anyone to take over. He wasn't there. So when we went there, that was his chance to go home and have a nap and have a shower. Wow. Um, and so they were very grateful for us. And I was really grateful because it meant that I could actually be, um, uh, re, you know, like av available um, to, to, to training, to responsibility, to, to that, that, that role. I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know. Um, mm. I feel, you know, uh, I, yeah, I feel, I feel like I, I didn't have that part of me open until I started doing it, you know, right. I, and you have, to, you have to have confidence to do it. And I was just shut down by like, Oh God, I might hurt you. I might kill you. Which of course I was never going to as a medical student because they never let you do anything proper. <laughs> but, but you know, but, but that, that was that was the fear anyway. Um, and out of curiosity, um, this is a question I could kind of ask you at any point between now and when we part ways. But I may as well ask it now. Um, <laughs> you know, in the media and everything in this country, um, you often get a sense that the NHS is in crisis, even like pre-COVID. Um, mm -hmm. There's a sense that like people are very overworked and, you know, A&E departments are bursting at the gills and, and you know, mm -hmm. and it's uh, not to get super political, but that, there, you know, a lot of cuts are, well, you're welcome to if you want to, um, cuts are kind of making it difficult for people to do their work. So I'm just curious from your first-hand experience, when you then leave studying it and go into hospitals in the uk like what did you see with your own eyes and what was your impression um I, I, when i first i mean when i when I first walked into the croydon a and e i mean it was chaos like it was it's always been chaos um is it the same level of chaos that we're experiencing now no uh some days it is some days it's it, it you know now is obviously a lot worse but um and it has just got worse it has got worse and worse over the 10 years i've been a doctor well, sorry 12 years i've been a doctor um it has got worse my a and e environments especially have deteriorated i've it's just it's so busy uh i remember when when i was working in dartford that we'd have only two doctors from the hours of three in the morning till 8am. Um, and we deal with anything that came in, but you, you just wouldn't, the, that this wouldn't be possible now. It just, you know, you couldn't have that happening. Um, the number of patients that have to come in because of the A&E closures and things like that as well. The number of people, number of people that do come in it's uh, yeah. And you know, waiting times go up and it just gets, I, I, I worked in another hospital called Northwick Park in Harrow. And I remember running a trauma call in the back of an ambulance um, uh, because we, we were so full. There was, we just couldn't actually break physically bring that person into the, into the hospital. And it was safer for them where the equipment was in the back of the ambulance to be just be in there. And we just did it in there. Um, do you um, mind what part of their body was, you know, injured? 
Oh, multiple. It was a uh, road traffic accident, and oh, uh, they were the driver, and so there was it was a he- head, chest, and legs. Yeah, everything. <laughs> it was yeah. Um, so they, were, re- they were really seriously injured, and and you're doing it in an ambulance. Absolutely, yeah. But they, there were five other ambulances in the queue at the time, so uh, you know, so lots of people were trying to get in. And I remember one day we were also a stroke center at that point, and there was one, you know one time when the three people came in at once like all having strokes and so we had to help the stroke team like figure out how to you know to sort everybody out and they just kept coming in flooding in it was um yeah i mean <laughs> it's it, you just it, the thing is is that you, at the time you feel that you just can't you're not going to get through it and, and you you're, you're going to and you, you feel like you're drowning in it but uh we you do i'm here now we're, we're fine we got we got through it like it's not pleasant but um but and you learn so much from that experience you learn how how to do it better every time um and i think i've always been someone who learned by doing but like it's it, it, i don't know how to say, i don't know what it is that it is something it's you sort of don't want to wish that experience on anybody but you know i'm really grateful for it at the same time yeah um and you know as i listen to that as a layman from the outside the obvious question is if it's that overwhelming and you're like that understaffed and stuff at times do you feel like especially in normal times let's say because we'll definitely talk about the last year later but do you feel that you know you're able to treat everybody like everybody gets the treatment they need uh, like that you're able to keep mm. your head above water that much i think uh in in an nhs environment like we we everybody gets the treatment that they i think everybody does get the treatment that they need and by that i mean they basically need what they deserve is much more everyone deserves a much better treatment like for certain like um we we all work as, I mean, I, on the whole, as you know, obviously there are always exceptions to these rules, but like, uh, to what I'm saying, but uh, the, we do, everyone gets the treatment that they need and, you know, and at the right time, wherever we possibly can, you know, I, I don't think I've ever really, I've, I can, I, I don't ever really feel that I've seen someone been massively shortchanged by, you know, an NHS hospital. Um, I can't really think of any examples. So in that sense, I think the system works. Could it be better? Yeah, yeah, it could be better. It could be a lot better. Um, but it's 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 because we don't have enough money and we don't have enough people. But I think that's every hospital in the world. You know, um, I think even private hospitals suffer with lack of staff. You know, I think it's just they just look prettier. You know, half the time. Before, I want to get on to when you. Um move to to acting but obviously this is such an important subject just do um you know you said it's like that all over the world is there any health service in the world that you would kind of look upon with envy in any country and go yeah that they're doing they're as close as you can get to it being the way it should be i don't have a huge amount of experience of other health services uh to be quite honest but from what i sort of like anecdotally know like in europe like in Germany, they have great hospitals out there. Like, you know, there's some, they do some great work out there. Um, 
and at the beginning of the pandemic there was some amazing stuff that was like happening there and they seem to have a hand they seem to have a handle on it but then looking at the figures this week i'm not sure what's going on in europe so um it seems it seems like they're in dire straits again and lots of lockdowns are imminent so it's uh yeah i don't know okay. you know yeah I, i'm no you know so it's sort of I, and then i've some experience of american systems and some of those hospitals are incredible really incredible but then the amount of money that they pay for it it bloody well should be, mm. you know. Yeah, the, um, the health system out there seems pretty crazy in terms of people not being insured and all that. Yeah, I, I just find it, I find that really hard to hard to bear. But I, I mean, I understand historically where they're coming from in terms of a socialized medicine point of view, but I just, uh, you know, I believe in a right to healthcare. So yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm no doctor, but I agree with you too. Um, <laughs> so um, having touched on that kind of quite heavy stuff, uh, Tell us about the, so you're there working in these hospitals, but -hmm. at the same time, you're keeping the hand in with acting because you were doing like Amdram, right? Yes, I did. I worked with a lovely, um, I said worked with, I joined this lovely Amdram group called Center Stage and did this. I did a couple of musicals. I did a little musical cabaret show. And then we did, I did, I was in the chorus of Footloose, which was hilarious amounts of fun um which we did in a small theater in london and i met some great great people really wonderful all of whom are like professionals like all of like, half of them worked at price waterhouse coopers you know what i mean right <laughs> 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 they were like this is amazing uh, yeah, like you know somebody was head of like menswear at selfridges as well it was like i was like these these are really like very accomplished human beings who also just happened to love musicals and want to do them and it was they were it was such a warm talented lovely bunch of people and I was so glad to be able to do it and um uh I, I don't think any of them knew how seriously I was really taking it in my head <laughs> necessarily right. uh um, and I didn't tell them when I was auditioning for drama school like uh so when when they found that I got in they were all like oh wow seriously okay cool <laughs> I don't know, they don't think they knew what to do with me at that point um uh it was crazy. Uh, um, and so tell us about the application process because uh, when did when did you decide? And I know you didn't tell me yet, but I know you have a story about how you were actually offered it. So tell us about uh, the, the oh, moment God, when you yeah. decide to audition for drama school and, and how that all went. Yeah, so I had a you know a very good friend who did the course that um, that we did at Lambda, the two-year course there. And um, I, I basically, I didn't know... I, I, as I said before, I didn't know what speciality. I had an idea. I thought I'm going to do pediatrics, or maybe I'll go and do a master's in health communication because obviously what I needed was more education. And um, and I was like, okay, I didn't quite. I knew I needed to take some time out. And it was at this point that actually one of my really good 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 friends, um, Bella, and my family and several people were just like, why don't you just go to drama school? Isn't this the point where you do that? Isn't this the point where you take the time out and go and do that thing like you said you've always wanted to do? And I was like, oh yeah, I suppose so. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, fine, I'll have a go. Um, and I didn't really know. And again, because I didn't really do plays, I was more of a musical person. And I was just like, oh God, will I get into a sort of straight acting place? And, and I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, and you know, my friend coached me with my in my speeches, and you know, and 
I got waitlisted and I was like, great, fantastic, good. That means I'm not awful, but, and I only applied to Lambda because I was like, that's the only course I really wanted to do. And I was like, but okay, I, did, I thought I'm not going to get in, but here we go. But then when I got waitlisted, I was like, oh, okay. So but look, I'll take, I'll try again next year because I'm never going to get in. And then I had a job lined up in, in Australia and I was going <laughs> to, I was going to like, I was going to go there and, you know, and, ha you know, earn loads of money and sit in the sun and have a great time. And then, and then I was, I was working in um, hematology and oncology. So uh, leukemias and cancers and things. And so I had a patient who, who I knew really, really well, and she was in there and I, and she was she was crying. Uh, so she was uh, crashing. So she sorry she was about to die, <laughs> essentially. And I was just sort of sorting things out. Now Lambda do this thing where like the the head of this drama school phones you when you get in. I don't know if they still do it now, but he did then. And I I sort of knew this, and I had Lambda's number sort of like programmed into my phone because I just thought what if they call? I'd like to know that they're calling. And so I'm there sort of, you know, with my patient as she's dying <laughs> and like pushing fluids into her and like, and you know, simultaneously think of God, I need some senior help. Like God, you know, and I thought, and then my phone rang and I thought, Oh God, yes, it's the consultant. He's finally replied to my call. And then it said Lambda calling. And I was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> and I was like, Oh fuck. I know what this phone call is. Oh, don't smile. Don't smile. Don't smile. Your, don't don't smile. Your patient is dying. Do not smile. This is literally the stupidest time to do not smile. Do not do not, do not look happy. <laughs> and it was the greatest acting achievement of my life. Of just being like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to put this phone back into my trouser pocket and continue to do. And I didn't answer the phone. And I didn't answer the phone for the rest of the day because I, I was so busy with this patient. And it wasn't until I got home and I was able to sit down and I got a beer and I sat down in my living room and I was, and then and he, he, I knew he was going to call at the end of the day. And so I was just there waiting with this beer. And then he phoned me and I just, yeah, cried. <laughs> <laughs> cried. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was my getting into Lambda story. But F fair play to you on your, I think any, anyone listening who, who like has heard the, the build up to all that and how much you loved acting, uh, you know, would commend you on your professionalism in that moment. I could, I'd love to be a fly on the wall and see the, the deadpan face you had on. And I, it was, you know. it, it was, it, it was, it was such, I think it, it, it very, very, it was like very slowly just just like i think it's the most sustained movement i've ever done i've just like without shaking just put it into the phone into my pocket i was like and it was felt like this hot burning thing in my pocket the whole time yeah. i was like concentrating on it the whole, the whole time while I was, whilst just yeah. you kind of remind like obviously anyone dying is is a is a sad moment and you know there is a sensitivity and all that to it but i also think it struck me in my own experiences of of like people dying that there it can be this kind of strange dark comedy around death where if kind of weird normal things happen at the same time as death it is a strangely kind of oh. hilarious thing you know um i won't absolutely i, won't. I mean there's the, the dark and the light goes you know hand in hand in that situation i think you need it and it's why it's why, as you say, doctors have dark humor as we need it to get through. Um, it's what got us through the last year, just, you know, inappropriate jokes and mm. all of that, you mm. know, um, I think. 
yeah I, I don't know if you ever watched mash but uh great you know great old comedy and movie by robert altman and originally um and it's about this mobile army surgical hospital on the front line in korea and it's so funny but at the same time they're fixing these soldiers who are getting hurt on the front line and it's like it's such a great portrayal of that yeah um that yeah that duality um so so then you go you you rodney cartier calls you and and you cry and, and you say yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh and you go and and i mean i'm really curious now because you've had all these experiences which we've been hearing about you know which are studying medicine and practicing it and you know being in the midst of all this very intense very very real life i mean it doesn't get it doesn't get more real than being a doctor in a hospital dealing with life or death situations um Mm -hmm. and then you're in drama school like what was that like (laughs) or did it did the kind of contrast hit you in, in any particular way I don't think you know what intense is until you've been to drama school, but um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a whole other kind of intense, I think, drama school. Uh, but I, I I never did that thing at medical school where it's like you sort of go home and you work on things and then and and like go to bed early because you know you need to be fresh for the next day. I was just a bit like you know stay up until three a.m. and hopefully I'll get the essay done kind of thing, and. Um, I really cared about it. So it was, I went as an adult learner as well, I, in that sense. And actually everyone, in my, you know, a lot of, because it was a postgrad course, a lot of people, they worked hard. Everybody, you know, it was, it was great. I, I, I was very, I felt old a lot of the time. What age were you at that point was, when you, when you started? Lambda? I was when I wasn't really that old, but like I was 27. Right. Yeah, I turned 20, yeah, which is really not that old, but no. like it felt old at drama school when everyone else is 21, mm. you know, like, you know, it's this, you know, so, um, but I made some of the best friends of my life there again, which I didn't think also would happen after six years of already being in an institution. Um, and uh, I'm really grateful that it did. Uh, yeah, it's a great place. Um, it's, uh, and drama school's fun. It's so much fun. I mean, it's, I, I say it was intense. I mean, it was intense because everybody wants to get an agent and have a career and, you know, do well, but, and, you know, get the big parts and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just not the same as, as work, I suppose. Um, but work in that sense, what, what being a doctor taught me was, or what, what I learned was that there's so much acting in being a doctor, like you, you're playing a role you have to be that professional is that like i had to be with that patient you're 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 in you're in that world and you're holding on to that and the audience is your patient and the, their people and you, you you've got to serve them and them entirely and then you let it all go after when you leave um and i found that in the first few months of drama school that found it difficult to shake that role like that was who i was at home, outside, everywhere was just this professional, like, and who was a bit more responsible and, and 
it's the last thing you need to be as an actor is mm. like responsible. <laughs> like, you're supposed to play and have fun and be silly and, and have, be, a, you know, open to loads of different things. Um, they say that, again. you know, as the listener probably knows from me saying it before, I did the two year course as well. I think I actually only did it mm. two years after you. So I think we just missed each other. Just, right. You were, you yeah, were leaving as I arrived yeah. basically. But, um, uh they they say that to the two the two year students that the biggest challenge for them is that they're going to have to get out of their heads that people mm-hmm. who've been to university especially tend to be you know they they filter the world through a very kind of intellectual um filter so yes. it's not about that that good acting is about kind of it going through your body and you being very playful and responsive and spontaneous yeah. and not kind of yeah. second guessing and editing things as you go um, yes yeah exactly and and i, I it's funny because i don't think i am like that now as an actor at all i feel like a very i really enjoy getting into a part through a, sort of physically first and like seeing a physical journey of a character and things like that first but um and i like physical comedy and stuff as well um but it, yeah, I, I, it is exactly that, and where you, you're seeing, you're in your head in terms of like you're seeing the part, you're seeing what the other person's doing, and you're seeing yourself outside at the same time, and it's like you can't be in all three places at once, you know. And the hardest thing is to switch off your mind and just allow and be in that, you know, and be the person you're supposed to be at that point, and be responsive to whatever happens to you honestly and openly and it's really hard when you've got you're so stuck in like you say stuck in your head but like you're just so habitually just analyzing stuff and um uh yeah did you find that i don't know if you, was that your problem at drama school do you think um, <laughs> i think maybe i'm not the one best place to say what my problem was you know i think that, I, I like the idea that <laughs> the you thing, know people yeah. are like my problem is it's like they never get it right you know when someone says my problem <laughs> is this they're like no you don't know what your problem is but um I, but this this is exactly my point as well i don't know if that was my problem but i i, I that, that's what i'm thinking it's <laughs> like i don't know who knows <laughs> no yeah I, I actually it's a good question I, i'm kind of struggling to remember but i but put it this way in a more broad sense i definitely feel like i became a much better actor in lambda um yes and kind of felt a a, a fire for it started to burn really bright mm-hmm. inside me there so I, I i really loved it like i loved it so much and uh really grateful yeah. to all the teachers who were there when i was there and i was going to ask you that actually um did uh, you know i think any given student who goes to drama school will have a particular connection with different teachers is there any teacher who stood out for you that like really their classes really resonated with you Oh, I mean, so many and so many different moments in so many people's classes that I really liked. Um, I, I, I really had a wonderful time with Judith Phillips as had a voice. She taught me so much and gave me so much confidence. And, and it just also sort of, you know, she said I could play the big parts if I wanted to. It was about me just knowing that I could, you know, um, and she, she was, she was really, um, she was she was a wonderful teacher in, that, in, in in giving me agency um for that and then there were some that challenged me and there was some that's like you know you know they were like ish you just need to say just fuck it and go for it you know mm. and then i had other teachers just one i had one teacher who said um ish 
you're really one you're you're very good at being very ordinary and I was like I don't think that's a compliment but I think you you I think you think that that's a compliment (laughs) and I was like I was like okay cool um but I still remember it I do think at the minute you just sort of the thing there's something about that that probably is a compliment I I, I'm still figuring it out Mm. um but it's sometimes something will come back to me from a lesson and I'll go oh yeah I remember saying someone saying that at Lambda or that that you know the thing about it, it's never one thing. I don't think I sometimes it's like a note. Sometimes it is a, a moment that you have, but it's the sum of its parts. It's, 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 it's a holistic thing. You feel it's, it's more, the it's, it's more in the subliminal. I think at a drama school, I, I learned from watching other people, like the people in my year, the people whose performances I saw in the showcases and stuff like that, they, you know, you just like, Oh God, I, do, I know I don't know I I I, I, lo- I loved nicking stuff from people. <laughs> you must <laughs> like I'm gonna keep that. That was great. Yeah. Um, and we should we should mention, given the whole simultaneous train thing, that you were still working as a doctor when you were at Lambda. You, on the weekends, you were going and working in A and E. Yeah, someone's got to pay the rent. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I couldn't. I, although my parents had helped me during drama school, I couldn't bear to ask them for too much money because it was. They'd already helped me through six years of medical school. <laughs> like to ask them for another two years, I was like, oh god, you know. And I had this lovely job that I could. I say lovely. I mean, I had this job that I could do that, uh, you know, that paid well and brought me close to people and, um. Yeah, so I had to do it. I had to do it. It was a, it was a necessity. Um, so if I worked on Saturdays and Sundays when I wasn't needed, um, more so in the holidays. So we'd have you know five, four, five weeks off in between terms, and I just cane it. I would just be in an A and E for most of it. Just yeah, I mean, earning as much cash as possible. For the listeners, uh, given that each and I did the same course, I just have to say that blows my mind. Because I know people might think oh, it's just drama school, you're just jumping around or whatever. But like the hours we were doing 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. most days and then often working on the weekends, too. So like and you were knackered because it was all so physical and everyone was doing it with such passion. Yeah. So the idea that you're then going in and doing any amount of hours on the weekends and doing your holidays in A&E is totally mind blowing. So uh, fair play. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't really... I mean, I know that is what I did because I must, I, 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 but it's funny. I don't have an actual handle on how I, I did that and then got through. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think I dwell on it too much. I think I just sort of do it. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think. And so then tell us about um, leaving drama school. Uh, I gather you, like you started to work very quickly. Did, did you find getting an agent easy? uh not easy um because i was older and uh and you know not i i think I'm, i don't think i'm the easiest person to cast necessarily sometimes but I, I don't know again that's that's like me saying what my problem was at drama school i don't really know i don't really know the answer to that um i can't be that hard to cast because i've worked but like um <laughs> but I suppose, so that, there we go i i have no idea um i i I didn't find it easy. I didn't get it. I didn't get an agent until my last few weeks at drama school, like last two weeks, I think it was. 
um but then when I did it I got I, I was very very lucky and I got work um pretty pretty much the next like the day after two days after graduation actually I think it was <laughs> so I had a job so um so that was great I did a couple of radio gigs and then I did a I had a it's one one day on a on a, on a set and then on do my first tv job playing a doctor obviously um and then <laughs> um and then i i did um the wind in the willows at the birmingham rep which actually another guy in my year as well did as well so it was great it was a really great start yeah like, I, it's my my dreamy absolutely dreamy it's uh kind of really settle the nerves it's a it's a nerve-wracking time for people leaving and kind of waiting for the first oh. job Oh, absolutely. And if you get one, I mean, I, and I think it's true. If you get one job in your first year at drama school, that's a huge success. <laughs> that's a huge success, yeah. uh, I think. Um, we need to talk all about your acting career because, you know, we're, we've been talking for a good while now and you've done so much. Um, when I asked you about kind of like big highlights in your career, because as, as I usually say with actors who've done loads of stuff on on this podcast, like we, we don't have time to cover all of it, but I gather... Um, well, which came first? Because you said big highlights for you were working in the Manchester Royal Exchange, the big, brilliant mm-hmm. theatre of Manchester, the very well known, and uh, the National Theatre here in London. Mm-hmm. Um, which of those came first? Um, the National, actually. Um, I was so lucky to get in there. Um, I did a, a, a theatre and education, actually, um, a show called Romeo uh, called Romeo and Juliet I mean Romeo and Juliet um so have you heard of it have you heard of Romeo and Juliet <laughs> you're writing it's quite good actually yeah 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 um we we did an hour-long version of of Romeo and Juliet and we took it to primary schools um it's meant for sort of eight to ten year olds and then we did it for four weeks in the shed, which is this amazing space that they built just outside um, the national. Um, and it was brilliant. We were one of the, I think we were probably the second, second or third show in there. And we did, and had a lovely summer just doing that for kids. And, um, but then shortly after that, I got into an, another show there. And then I did like, I, then I did another three shows back to back shortly after that one. So I did four in, sorry, I did um, five, I think in the space of a year and a half, like, yeah, year and a half, two years. I was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my luck. And then each of those experiences was so different because I did this theater in education. I did a piece of German expressionism and then went into like a David Hare play set in India and then a new Indian history play after that. And then a restoration comedy after that. I was like, you couldn't get more diverse in terms of tone and style. And it was like another drama school. It was like another few years of drama school because I learned so much from the actors that I, I, I worked with and watching them and all working at the height of their, you know, their, their um, ability and, uh it was so yeah it was great it's such a so great to be on the south bank and you know and like a couple of glorious summers on the south bank and you know you go and sit down you know oh it's just like i work there that's cool yeah. <laughs> I, I will never not be cool i don't think <laughs> what what you said you know you learned kind of new things uh could you pinpoint any one of those things that kind of was like a new thing post lambda that you learned in working at the national 
it, I mean, fearlessness. They were just bold actors who would just throw stuff out there in a kind of like, oh, I think I would just sort of do what's necessary or like this is, might be what you want kind of thing. But they would throw what you want, add about 20,000 other things on top and then just keep changing it again and again and, again, and just be just and just make big decisions and just get it wrong. And I was like, oh, okay. So, oh, you just have to go for it. Okay, that's fine. All right. Oh, I'm allowed to just go for it. Okay, fine. Mm. Great. I'm glad I figured that out, <laughs> you know? And I know that's sort of what everyone tells you to do at drama school, but I don't, until you sort of see that done well, I didn't really know what that meant. And that's what I learned. That's what I learned watching the actors. They just, they're very good at uh, painting in lots of different colors on the, on the canvas, you know, mm. and trying lots of different things out before they, you know, before they, you know, um, before the final product is, is sort of out there. That's it. And it always changes. And even on stage, like they just, you just keep seeing them working and you just like go and, and playing and messing and, and trying something else. And it's great. Yeah. It's really good. That is a, a lovely thing. I think, which, uh, people who aren't actors might not realize that much. It's kind of a, a little bit of a kind of trade secret, I think, that amongst mm. the ranks of actors, we love other actors who mix it up. Not in a way that's like yeah. throwing people off, but in a way that's that kind of is working with other people, um, mm -hmm. but who keep it fresh and like will try things out and are willing to take risks with their performances yes and obviously if most people will only go and see a play once so they're not going to know that that's happening but there might be an actor on that stage yes, exactly. who's trying different yeah. things within a certain you know within what the director would <laughs> let them you know uh, yeah um, and uh, there was there was i mean i remember the one play i did um it's called dara and there's an amazing actor called zubin vala who played dara in that and there's a trial scene that which is wonderful and i i was just a guard in this in this epic trial scene and and i you know i i i mean i had to stand there for, i think it i think it lasted 27 minutes this scene um but it was amazing it was an amazing bit of you know writing and i and i just he would just, he would mix it up so much i just be like you but I, I just wanted to turn to the audience sometime and just go you don't get this guys but this is amazing what he's just done right now that was like no seriously like just take a moment <laughs> like, and um it was very yeah he was brilliant at that um yeah um so and just before moving on from the national, I remember John Lithgow came in and gave us a talk in Lambda and he told some lovely stories about some of the kind of rituals and stuff at the national, like the stuff when, when a play has its opening night and things like that. Were there any particular aspects of the national that struck you like that? Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. Yeah. The banging on the windows, the, was the, you know, that whole thing when you get ready for press night, there's, there's, there's just, I, I, there was also sometimes, and I'm not sure if I should be missing this, but there was sometimes when, you know, when I was working in the Ollie and I knew what was on in the Littleton, you'd um, a couple of times, just because someone, a friend of mine told me that he used to do this and I thought, oh, I want to do that as well. And I'd go in 
I knew the stage manager at that point. So I was like, oh, I'll go and see. I wanted to stand in the wings. And I stood in the wings and watched like a couple of scenes of what was happening. I can't remember what it was now. It was something brilliant in the Littles and at that point. I think it was a bird of shore. And I just remember going, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, there, you know, like I'm sat in the wings of this other play and I'm like, I have to go on stage on the other side in a second. <laughs> I remember like, it was so great. Um, and uh, I, it, was, it was things like that. I just... And then seeing people who just sort of sit down with you in the um, in the canteen, like I love that. You know, you say, "Oh, look, there's Sam Mendes, and you know, there's Ray Fiennes, and there's you know, Damon Albarn." You know, <laughs> you're like, "Oh, this is ridiculous. What is this place that I am in?" Uh, <laughs> and there's me just trying to have my you know, my cheesy pasta. You know, it's great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and um, um, the Royal Exchange in Manchester, in uh, your your hometown or home territory. Um, you had told me a brilliant story. When, was it when you were working in the Royal Exchange that a guy in the audience, you, you basically needed to switch into doctor mode. Could you tell us that? Well, I was, yeah, I was already playing a doctor in this play called Wit, a beautiful play by Margaret Edson. Um, and I was playing this American doctor uh person and the royal exchange is it's a theater in the round and it's like there's a little module that is in the middle of this beautiful old corn exchange um and there's a lot of space all around it so there's no wings so the actors are waiting outside and they can see you through the glass walls as to what's happening on on the stage and things like that before they go through the doors but so whilst i was you know waiting for to go on you know for one of my scenes um a man was uh, collapsed in uh, in the audience and he was sort of he was carried out and uh, and I'm there with my stethoscope my prop stethoscope <laughs> around my neck and 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 I went and I went straight up to him and I said oh you're right you know my name's Ish and I said I know you've just seen me and I'm, and I know I'm dressed like a doctor but I actually am a doctor and he just like was coming out of this faint looking completely disoriented looking like he thought he was going crazy he thought he was uh, clearly this is it I'm, I'm i'm dying this is just the weirdest outer body experience of my life and i was like no no it's really fine don't panic it's okay and like using my prop stethoscope i then examined him and <laughs> was just like okay you look fine um and i just said to the company manager and i said you know who helped um to carry him out i said is, is the ambulance on its way oh yeah 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 we've called the ambulance I said, great um i said um, tell them I'll be out in a minute. I just need to go on stage. <laughs> and then I went on stage and I um, and I did the scene uh, and then came straight back and the uh, the paramedics were there and I was like, okay, I was like, hi, yeah, hi, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of the actors, but I'm actually a doctor. And then they were looking like me, at me like there was some <laughs> not case. Like, no, no, seriously, I really am. Um, and I was like, and, and I was like, how is he? And I was like, can you just show me his obs and like, give, get me an ECG and can you just do a blood sugar? I said, like, I'll be back in, I'll be back in two minutes. I've just got another scene to do. <laughs> and then I went back on stage. Oh, it was so weird. And this poor man, um, you know, like, I mean, he thankfully he was absolutely fine he just had a faint but um uh he but he was yeah i don't i think it was a unique experience for everybody involved and the paramedics were just like i don't know what's going on here um there's a, there's a few know. people telling that story <laughs> forevermore <laughs> yeah yeah 
<laughs> exactly right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when I was doing a job at the Birmingham Rep, uh, um, one of the cast members had a, a very severe allergic reaction, and the same thing happened where the paramedics came to the door, and I was sort of with her and like looking after her. But at that point, I was dressed as a bunny rabbit, so I think they took me less seriously <laughs> at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that, yeah, that was even more confusing for everyone involved. <laughs> so. Oh my god, that's brilliant! Yeah. <laughs> and um, I want to get on to you, you. So you won um, a UK Theatre Award um, Indeed, for, yeah. for best yeah. supporting actor um, in the play was Hobson's Choice, right? That's right, Hobson's Choice. Yeah, uh, it was an adaptation by the amazing Tanika Gupta, who thankfully writes plays I can be in, so it's great. <laughs> I love lots of bits. Yeah, it was an amazing. It was the first South Asian, well, almost all South Asian cast at the Royal Exchange, so it was a really priv- real privilege to be in there, especially because it was the theatre I went to the most as a as a kid. Um, yeah, it was so, and a gorgeous cast, a gorgeous bunch of people. It was, yeah, and yeah, I loved it. I really loved it. It was a great, it was such a great fun place and parts and things like that. I was, you know, and you never, the, you know, these things with these awards, it's just like everybody was really good in that thing. It was such a good cast. And, you know, you can't do comedy without the other people on there and the other, you know, much funnier and wonderful people on there, you know, who make, you know, and um so it was great for that we had great great people uh, um, i googled it uh and read the guardian review I'll, I'll be honest i was in a bit of a hurry so i searched your name and just hurried to your name uh <laughs> but it said uh you it, it described you as h- hilariously twitchy is that right <laughs> yes, d- d- yes does that yes. does that feel like a, a fair description of the of the character I mean, I don't know if the character was meant to be twitchy, but I, I certainly gave him a little, you know, eau de parfum de twitchy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was definitely twitchy in my rendition of it anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was a nervous wreck for like most of the most of the play until the end. He has a he's converted into this, you know, uber businessman, you know, with huge confidence by the person he marries um and um who is the real heroine of the whole piece um and uh yeah it's wonderful uh it's a great play it's a great manchester play i don't know if you know it but like it's uh it's done in manchester so much and i think you know i think it was in done art school at one point um, oh right so it's, it's been around for years or oh it's yeah so it's a, it's an it's a really old it's an oldish play in like early um 20th century play and uh but it was uh adapted into this uh by Tanika Gupta and it was first performed at the Young Vic in the early 2000s and then it was it was reworked and reimagined into the 1980s right um in in this in this revival that we did at the exchange and it was yeah, it was great. Now that you say, so I sound slightly less ignorant. I think I do remember coming across that play when I was in uni, just for the record. But um, uh, could, don't worry, no judgment. <laughs> um, do you mind? T- uh, this is something I like to ask of performers when I when I remember to. Um, could you describe, mm. given that that you know was a obviously a highlight or I guess you know an award winning performance, so it's a good time to ask wh- when things are kind of going right for you on stage. 
or in performance. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that from a kind of internal point of view? What does it feel like to be, you know, from from your point of view? When something is going well in performance, it's not that it's not work. It's not that you're not working really hard and doing stuff. It's more the absence of worry. Um, it's the absence of like, um, but in a bit nothing. No, it, it, look, it, this is all a. It's a like I really enjoyed myself. I just was enjoying it, and I was on stage with people who were equally brilliant, and and everybody was. We were having a really wonderful time. So we were never thinking. We never sat there going, "Oh, I'm." Re- <laughs> you don't get this, but I'm really good at this right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm very good. Um, you're not sat there doing that. It's like, um, but you're sort of going you're having fun and then you're just looking constantly to having how much more fun you could also have, you know, and like, and you're working and you're trying things and you, it is work in that sense, but you're not ever worried about audience response. You're not worried about like it not going down. Well, I don't know. There's some things you just, there's some worries that just maybe just pass away. Like, and you can just be in it. Mm. it there's a relaxation. I think mm. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I think that's how I'd say it is. I've been in, you know, come on, I've been in some plays that have been, <laughs> you know, poorly received, and I've been some that have been very well received. But it, it, it's it's not uh, the actual point when you think that you're doing really good work actually comes in the people that you're on stage with and it feeling magical mm. and transporting. And it happened in in Hobson's Choice, but it's happened in other plays as well that I've done. Uh, wit for example the one i mentioned before definitely um yeah i think that's what it feels like that's a brilliant hard it's hard to know well it's a brilliant description i think it makes it's a description that makes the listener want to experience that i think um oh good and uh there's a, a bunch more things i want to talk to you about and we're not not in any great hurry but um uh, before before uh, moving off theatre, it's worth saying that you've also worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company, right? I have, yeah. Which did one play there? Go, going back to the, we were talking about your days in school, how you never got cast in Shakespeare. What what did you do in the Royal Shakespeare Company? I did Twelfth Night of all things. Oh, yeah, I, that was another beautiful experience. I just it was a winter. Um, it was yeah the winter of twenty seventeen into eighteen and. Uh, Again, you know, doing a magical Christmassy twelfth night. It was it was lovely, and again, a beautiful cast of people. We had such a great, great company, and being in Stratford when it all looks all snowy and wintry, it's just gorgeous. It was great. Oh, <laughs> it was magical. I just I was only I was only in one play, so I meant that half. And it was a two play, so the two plays in in rep on say. So when Twelfth Night wasn't on, it was Christmas Carol, but I wasn't in Christmas Carol. So, so you were having the crack, but I stayed in Stratford. Oh yeah, me and one of the other actors. It wasn't in the other play. We, many, many lovely pubs and restaurants. I think I don't think I've drunk so much in my life. It was great. I <laughs> <laughs> had a really good time. I'd often be waiting in the pub with a round of drinks for the rest of the cast. <laughs> I was ready. I had a great time. Who, who did you play in Twelfth Night? I played Sebastian in Twelfth Night. Yeah, so one of the twins. Nice, um, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, really. Again, with that, I had one scene in the first half, and then that was it. And then I was I was off for the, until the second half. It was great. One of those dream jobs. It was oh dreamy. I watched a lot of Game of Thrones. It was great. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, and well, I want, there's a bunch of things I want to ask you about, but, but before moving off acting for the moment, uh, it's worth mentioning you've, you've also worked on screen a good bit. Uh, and if anyone looks at your IMDb or whatever, you've got a bunch of credits on there. Um, you mentioned, and you've been in, you've been in Kari, right? Did I see that? Or EastEnders? Um, oh, EastEnders, EastEnders yeah. Right? I did a couple of episodes of EastEnders, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Mr. Patel is ever going to come back necessarily, <laughs> but you know. Why did, is he, it was was a very, he killed yeah. or like what, hap- what happened? No, no. I, I worked I worked for Walford Council and I, I, I evicted, I think, oh God, I'm going to sound awful now. Uh, I think I evicted Tiffany. <laughs> Who knows? I, I evicted somebody. Uh, I know. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. They were, I mean, what, a, it's a machine. I don't know if you've done EastEnders, no. but what a machine. It's amazing how I spent more time in my dressing room than I did on the set. Um, it, it, it's, it's so quick. It's just so quick. And you're just like, you just got to go on there. You got to do the thing, and you got to, and then you leave. That's it. It's it's you like just you just know you know and and it, it's kind of fun for that. And you sort of oh okay that was like it, it yeah it just blows past you. Um, but there are such professionals, and they just all you know they're all very easy and friendly and yeah. And it was really fun. It was a really it was a silly scene. So we had um, yeah we had fun with it. Um, and you mentioned a TV show called Anthony. Yes. Oh, yeah. I loved Anthony. That was amazing. I mean, look. I mean, I, I don't always play doctors, but I did play a doctor in this. <laughs> Sounds like was, you do. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I mean, typecast. You know, <laughs> so somebody call my agent. Um, no, the uh, I, I, yeah. I so I, I got to play. So Anthony was a story of Anthony Walker, who's a seventeen-year-old uh, black kid from Liverpool, um, from Hoyton in Liverpool, and he was killed by white supremacist essentially um in in, in a racist attack uh, with an ice pick to his head and i think this was in 2000 and i'm gonna say five it may have been actually no maybe much later than that anyway don't quote me on that um but like in 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 last few years um and this TV program was written by Jimmy McGovern, who's an incredible writer, obviously, he's written so many amazing things. And he wrote the imagined life that Anthony could have led. Um, and it runs backwards in time up to the event um, of, of, of the murder. And it's sort of made even more tragic by seeing it playing backwards. Because, and because just at the moment when he dies, spoiler um but <laughs> i mean when he dies he um you suddenly get that flash forward of everything you've just seen mm. and and the powerful message of like when you're when that kind of attack happens the when the potential that you're taking away yeah the potential of one any one human life and the ripple effect and what that person can do for so many people is both in the ordinary and in the extraordinary ways that any human, you know, does, that every human does, in fact. Um, it, it's so really beautifully portrayed in that in, 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 in that in that drama. And it's really, really, really me. Yeah. It's one of the best things about drama, isn't it? That it, uh, it can make us see vividly what each life means, you know, because it's so easy to hear mm. statistics yeah. and stuff and whatever even say in the case of um the last year 
uh, which I'm, go- I'm yes. going to ask you about shortly. But um, just before that, um, you you mentioned earlier on that because one thing that strikes me is like I think to anyone listening, you do come across as like a, a consummately successful person. <laughs> you know, like like <laughs> you you were brilliant at school, brilliant at acting. Got into Cambridge in medicine, became a doctor. Got into Lambda, became an actor, winning awards. You know, like it's a bit sickening to be quite honest with you. Um, uh, uh, yeah, when you put it like that, <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah. you mentioned that um, like you have suffered from depression and stuff, and I just wanted, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that even somebody who, uh, on paper, your life is going so well, that that can be a part of yeah. it. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so it, it's been a part of my life since I was 19. I've suffered from depression since then. Um, it, it, I always describe as my, my depression as though like I'm it, it always made me feel like I was in a glass box. And I and it, there was all and it was a very and this glass is very it's sort of it's sheer. It's thin. It's It's like no one else can see it. But it is this this wall that separates me from the rest of the world, and it numbs everything that comes in. It has to hit through that glass, and then it, everything is slightly numbed before it gets to me. And I don't. And uh, and and the air is numb, and it feels heavy. Um, and it takes a lot of work to push through those walls for me to be able to exist in the world. Sometimes. Um, and I've got better at that with therapy. Right. <laughs> it's very good. Um, I recommend it. Um, and <laughs> it's, uh, but that's how I've always felt. So, yeah, it, it and then once you're through, it's wonderful. Like you, you're just the same as everybody else, but like, you know, but it takes a lot of work. Do you find it kind of comes in, in waves or, you know, there's, there's periods of time where you feel that way or? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, yeah, absolutely. There's sometimes where, I mean, you know, I mean, actually just before I just after, uh, yeah, just before I, I went to the RSC, I, I hit a real low. I was so, I hit rock bottom basically. And it was, I mean, rock bottom for me looked like, <laughs> um, it doesn't probably sound that bad, but I just, I couldn't really leave my room other than when I had a shift, like I knew I had to work. So I just get myself out of bed to work, but otherwise I'd just be in the darkened room and I'd just get, so many takeouts i'd like my room was filled with pizza boxes and stuff and i just feel you know and um and watching <laughs> friends for the umpteenth time you know what i mean which is enough to depress anybody but you know so <laughs> but, but i still did it um but uh it yeah so yeah that's and then it just it took um yeah it it, it you know, it took some medication at some point. It took uh, examining my life um, and 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 coming up with like real coping mechanisms to to sort of get it to get through it. Um, For you know, uh, I I can imagine people listening maybe who have experienced similar. So in the, in the kind of spirit of of sharing, a, a, you know, what would one of those be? Would you have any particular thing you'd say that's helped you? Um, yeah. I mean, the simplest things are like it was the simplest thing that I've realized and I come to realize it like more and more is for me, exercise did a lot. Like as soon as I started like 
I didn't realize how much it did for me until I, I, I never was, you know, I'm not a sporty guy. I'm not, a, I was not a sporty kid. And, but as soon as I started like doing more exercise, like I suddenly found that that gave me more energy. I slept better. I ate better. Everything sort of happened, you know, but then the sleeping and eating is, that's the hardest thing to control when you're, when you're depressed because you just sleep either, either you sleep all the time or you never sleep mm. or you binge or you do, you know, or you never eat. And it's one of those things. And so that's sort of, you know, and, and it's, and it's really difficult. But the other thing that people say is always like, it's being it, this phrase, being kind to yourself. And it's really difficult because everyone always says, Oh, you just, you got to be, you, you're too hard on yourself. You, you need to be kinder to yourself. And I never really understood what that meant. Um, and it, and, I, and it, it is a deeper thing of you need to it, it's really it's hard because like I still do it even now I, I you know like you know the smallest things can make me very very anxious but it, every it, it's 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 okay to be sad mm. it's okay to be anxious it's okay it's okay feel it feel it understand why you're feeling it and then and then try and deal with it or go deal with it right now just keep going you know sometimes i find that that helps as well but there's no magic answer there's no one way there's just your way of getting through it is what i would say it's just that's it and like for me sometimes i'm really successful and it's great and i can get through the day and it's okay but sometimes i'm just not like i, I can't i just stay in bed all day <laughs> and 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 that still happens now and that's okay uh i wish i, I mean for some people medication's the thing the other thing is my friends my family i just tell them i tell them everything now mm. like i don't think i used to tell them everything but now i just tell them everything and it helps right that helps a lot Sounds so simple. It's not profound in the slightest. No, but I like, think I really is. appreciate you sharing that. And I think that could be, uh, you know, useful or, you know, it's good for other people to hear as well. I think sharing this stuff is um, is yeah. very important as, you know, there's a ever greater consciousness of in the world, which is great. Yes, um, absolutely. And speaking of sharing, I know another kind of big part of your life um, in the last 10 years or so is that you came out as as bi um yeah that's um, right. yeah so could you tell us it's about funny. that how, how was that and what, what was going on when when you came out it's funny so this is during my rock bottom right. <laughs> as it were i was really feeling awful and actually and I, it was it, it's it's um i remember it very well i just started medication and it's the first time I've ever been on medication. I've been suffering from um, depression since I was 19. And so this is, and it's only a few years ago that I, I, I came out, I, five years ago now, I think, four, four or five years ago now. And I, my, and I thought, oh, I've got to do this at this rock bottom. I have to do this. And I, you know, I remember taking my friends out for dinner. So I'm taking, I'm going to start these medications and they're going to make me feel worse before I'm, better so i just need you to be around like just please keep checking in with me and then just a couple of few things happened then my my grandmother died who i was really close to and then one of my aunts died in a few days after and then my uncle died a couple of days after that 
Um, and I've never been so grateful for medication in my entire life. Um, <laughs> and I think all it, I don't think it never really worked, but I think it just put me on an even keel throughout time. And then I stopped it, but then I knew that I just, I knew what was going on. I knew half of it was because I wasn't out to my parents. I was out to my, a couple of my friends at this point, but I wasn't out to my parents. And that's why, that's when I caught, that's when I officially came out in my head. Um, and I remember my mum had just come back from India having, you know, done the funerals and stuff and things like that. And, and they came to stay with me. And actually, the, it was, I remember them staying in my flat and knocking on my bedroom at 5 a.m. because they get up really fucking early. And, <laughs> and, and they were like, hello, hello, how does the coffee machine work? And I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I was like, I'm up now. So I'm going to And we were sat in my kitchen having coffee. And I remember telling them about my depression and about telling, I first came out to them as, I mean, they knew I was depressed, but I came out to them about my rock bottom times and how bad it was and about how I'd started medication. And my dad says something like, oh, you know, in this, the, the conversation went and they were absolutely wonderful. They're beautiful humans and they were offering their support. And then you saw at one point they said, my dad said, um, would you be happier if you had a partner? I was like, and he used this partner word, like, you know, this sort of agendered, mm. you know, ungendered word. And I was like, oh, okay. Does he know something <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This is going to be the moment. I'm going to come out right now. This is the moment I'm going to tell them in my kitchen here right now. And I was working myself up, working myself up. And then my, <laughs> then my dad looks at the watch and goes, oh, okay. We have to go and get our tray. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> and it's like, so better go and have a shower. And then I saw, sat, so my dad went and had a shower and then I was, we were sat and in my flat and I was with my mom, my mom could see something was wrong. And, and she, and she said, well, what's wrong with you? You know, what's going on? And I was like, Oh, I want to tell you something, but I think you're going to hate me. And <laughs> sorry. No, um, and I just hate you. And, and then, and I, and I told her that, you know, I'm, I'm bisexual. And she, and she went, Oh, okay. Um, is that why you're depressed? And I was like, no, that's not why I'm depressed. <laughs> and I was like, and then, and I was like, and then, um, and then I, uh, and then I just started sobbing. And then my mom, being the incredible human that she is, and thinking about this a lot because you know Mother's Day was only yesterday, and I, and she said, and I was just sobbing into her chest. She said, she just kept saying, I understand, I understand. You know, don't worry. And it's like, you know, she said. <laughs> nothing in this world is impossible everything is possible all i want is for you to be happy and i was like fucking hell you couldn't have said anything more perfect could you mm. jesus and and that's that was, yeah it was wonderful she just didn't care mm. <laughs> and I was so lucky that, and then my dad came in from the shower and saw me crying and he was like, what are you crying about? Don't worry, don't worry. I know you're depressed. We're here for you. Don't worry. I was like, no, dad. I was like, I just told mom something. He said, oh, what? And I said, I'm bisexual. And she said, all right, okay, well, just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's about right, dad. <laughs> Not, know, as <laughs> Not as eloquent. Not as eloquent. But then, you know, then, you know, they started going, oh, no, my God is bisexual. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> they're Hindus. And I, they were trying to sort of talk about, oh, she said, yeah, you know, Krishna changed himself into a woman to seduce a man. I was like, I don't think that's quite the same thing, mother, but okay, fine. Like, I'm glad you're getting on board. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, it was, um, yeah, it was wonderful. 
they're they're really you know i can't it must have been difficult to hear in some ways not what they expected but uh uh but nothing's changed you know uh you know they're wonderfully emotionally intelligent human beings you know um which is i'm very lucky yeah yeah um I think we should talk, given that you we've heard a good bit about your acting and personal life, and, and we've already been hearing about your medical career, but I think given the past year, it will be worth talking a bit about that and your experiences as a doctor. You said something that was interesting. You said that your relationship with medicine has changed a lot in the last year. Yes. Could you, what, what, yeah. I, you know, I asked earlier on, what, what was it like? through your own eyes uh just being an a and e's generally but yeah through this uh pandemic what has the experience of being a doctor been like it's it's been a, i mean it, it's it's gonna be difficult to not, not not spend another hour talking about <laughs> this but um it's it's uh it, it went through several phases because immediately there was the fear um the fear of oh shit actually i could die <laughs> i mean not that you would say that out loud because you were concentrating on i've got a job to do i've got to help people and i can do this and i have to do this so there was a sort of uh, it was purpose and and feeling like i have to this is the moment i you know and i suppose if, if yeah i have to step up versus oh god but i could but I, I could get this and I don't know what that's going to, ha- what's going to happen because we didn't have enough information at that point um, about who, how, who and how it was going to affect. And then they were saying that people from Asian and minority ethnic people are more affected. And you're just like, okay, that's not helping me with the fear. Um, and uh, this, so there was a, there was a lot of fear, but also in Manchester where, you know, cause I've been up here for the, for the, the whole pandemic. Um, the, we weren't as badly hit at, in the first, months as london was like not at all and so there was a sort of silence and it it just there was this anticipation like of like oh god when's the flood coming because we haven't had it yet i mean it did come eventually but like it didn't happen then um in this time last year and so we're just sort of it, it, it i described it as like you know the, the, when the tide goes out before the tsunami you know, and like, and it's just gone out so, so far that, you know, the, you know, it's, uh, and there's, there's a sort of eerie silence to the whole thing. And so that was, that was scary. But throughout the year, it's, it's been a sort of a galvanizing experience in many ways. I've, I work at this hospital, I work at North Manchester General Hospital with, and I've met some of the most incredible people the nurses the doctors the the healthcare assistants the the, the port everyone everyone there literally everyone there is they're so uh, just they're just really they're great humans <laughs> like, i don't know how else to put it they're just they're, they they take their time out to work in a hospital and do this thing and they do it with such care and 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 they really they just really want to be there they really want to help and they have they have such worth in ha- doing a good job and that's really really wonderful um and they're really fun and they're lovely people so it's great it's a great it's a great moment so it's like it's two things it's like i've met some really lo- nice people i've made some great friends over this year 
but I've also had some horrifying experiences and had conversations with people I never thought I'd have. I've seen the extent of the mental health problems that people have had in the way that's manifested the, you know, young people with COVID, you know, struggling to breathe and being intubated to, you know, so many older people who in any other time, if we weren't so overrun, could we have done more? I don't know for them, but sometimes you, you know, that thought passes through your mind where you're like, could we have saved more people? I don't know. It's difficult, but this disease is a severe disease. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's been hard. Some of the, and, you know, I've not had to make many, any of those sort of resuscitation decisions, but the, the anesthetists, the intensive care doctors, the people who are working on the medical wards, they have made such difficult decisions. The trauma of that is going to be extensive. Um, and I, uh, so, but in terms of my relationship with medicine, I used to, I, I didn't, I, bef just before the pandemic, I was going to give it up. <laughs> I was like, that's it. I'm done. You know, I'm like acting going well. I'm going to just try and get my, I want to just concentrate on artistic endeavors. I want to keep my world in one place. I want to stay on this one path, you know, of, of acting and, and everything and being in this, in this sort of, in that industry. And then the pandemic had just sort of, yeah, obviously it necessitated both financially, but also just, you know, I had, I had to do that. I had to help. Um, and so all it's taught me is, is that you can, I can, I could, do, I, could, I want both now. <laughs> I want to do that job. I like doing that job. And I think I've always liked doing that job. And I sort of maybe was slightly embarrassed about liking it because of this thing that you mentioned before, that if you're not fully committed to acting, then you're not fully committed or something like it's you're not you're not you're not you're not going to be successful you're not going to you know do as well as you should and i just think that is complete bullshit mm. um and i and that's what's changed for me this year is that like like life can be more than one thing and it is one it has been one more than one thing it's been more you know more than one thing for my entire life and i think now i've accepted that that is what i do i do both yeah you know it, you know it's, it's, that, that's where i've got it to. sounds really cool and i you know i kind of imagine a situation because as well i was going to say listeners might not be aware but there's lots of new tv shows so they probably are aware uh, like one of the things that's kept going through covid is the filming of tv and film uh so there are mm -hmm. still jobs going and yeah. uh i can imagine that might well, I don't know. You tell me. Would that be slightly tricky in the in the times that we're in at the minute for you if you were if you were offered an acting job in the midst of all this? Like, what? yeah. I mean, I I've got an acting job coming up, so that's <laughs> nice. So there you <laughs> so, go. Uh, so, so I mean, it's tricky, but it's like so. I mean, this one acting job I've got just got postponed for you know as many things are at the moment. Um, so it's just meant that I've just phoned the hospital and said, "Do you need some people?" and they're like, yes, yes, please. Um, so I go back to work. So, um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm back to work tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know, should I, you know, so it's sort of that, that's, what's great about it. You know, I don't, um, uh, I, I like that, you know, that, you know, the, the, that is the dreamy part of being a doctor is that if I keep my skills up and all do all the things I need to do, they're going to need me. Yeah. You'll, gonna, you'll always help. be in demand. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, as long as I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you don't you show know, up when in a I bunny start, outfit. You know, well, exactly, bunny outfit and have like a, you know, a jar of leeches and just say, you know, where's the black bile? <laughs> like, so, yeah, as long as I'm not doing that, I think I'll probably be fine, you know. Um, and um, just so the listener, it just occurs to me that the listener might not understand um, just the specifics of this. So obviously you've been an actor and when you've had jobs like, so many actors including myself generally when you finish the job you might give yourself a certain amount of time a little grace period or holiday but you know that until an acting another acting job comes along you're gonna have to go back to your side gig uh so in your yes. case i guess that's what you've been doing with being a doctor but how long do you usually give it because uh, you uh, you said to me that the longest gap you've <laughs> had between jobs has been three months as an actor has been three months which is really good going yeah um so like yeah. when you finish an acting job how long do you usually wait before you go back to the hospital <laughs> i don't think you want to know the answer to that i'm i'm, I'm not I, I mean clearly i have some form of adhd myself um I, I basically if i finish on the saturday i'm probably there on the tuesday the wednesday right sometimes even the monday like i'm back like um yeah i'm yeah or the weekend after maybe i i get i just go straight back into work um yeah yeah i i i, I know this is probably why i'm tired all the time <laughs> but like god oh. so i mean you're really forcing to me examine my habits here uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, um yeah i sort of you know there we go yeah i sort of go back straight pretty, pretty straight into it um that's cool. I, I think that's that anxiety, isn't there, when you finish or when you're coming to the end of an acting job, if you don't have the next one lined up, like, oh, God, I need to earn money. I need to pay rent. So and I think everybody does that. So I immediately just book shifts in. Um, so the nice ones have been like when I've been like at the RSC and things like that, you know, when I'm doing only half a play, you know, <laughs> like um, or half the rep rather. Uh, you know, in, in between, I could go on a holiday and that was, that was nice. <laughs> you know, mm. that was the whole new aspect to it all but yeah i even mean, sometimes i work in and even in the breaks at the national you usually get like a two-week break in between things sometimes i go on holiday sometimes i just go back to the hospital all right so yeah it's a it sounds like a very cool life to me um i'd say i'm full i'm full of envy because I, i've never managed and actually in a way this podcast is me is the first dipping of a toe for me in mm-hmm. making something that's not acting a thing that i do that i actually really enjoy and it's you know i'm not really making money from this uh yeah who knows what the future might hold it's difficult these days in the world of podcasts but but even just that experience feels brilliant and i love the idea of doing different things with my life i don't i've realized i don't only want to be an actor but i do want to continue being an actor so i I complete i completely get it i think that's a really great that you've come to that and i think i think every actor is probably better if they do sort of understand that they're not just an actor it's not the only thing it's not the only thing that, and i think uh, um actors have a wonderful thing where they can they have such empathy and they you know if they're good they're funny they they can communicate they can do so much like the rest is just do a bit of work, do a course or two. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, like, it sounds awful. I sound like that awful, like, you know, Fatima retrained as a in cyber. No, I don't mean that. Like, <laughs> not at all. I'm just saying that the skills are transferable, mm. like, to many different areas. And, like, and 
there's so much that we can well none of us are one thing that's all i can say none of us are just one thing those are probably mm. great words to go out on so uh <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story it's a brilliant story and you tell it brilliantly i really appreciate it mm. thank you no thank you very much for having me that was my interview with ish i hope you enjoyed it if you have an unusual life story or know someone who does, please get in touch with me by email at patspodcastpeople at gmail.com. If you enjoy the podcast and think it's a worthwhile venture, you can support it on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash patspodcast. I would really appreciate any contribution you would see fit to give, and it will help me invest more time in the podcast and continue finding interesting stories. You can find me on Twitter. It's at patspodcast. I won't confirm yet who my next guest will be, but I have a few exciting possibilities in the works. So join me in two weeks time when all will be revealed to hear another unusual life story. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.